So a couple of weekends ago, I had the opportunity to speak at a leadership conference down in Tweed, and we were up the top of the top building of, um, of the conference centre there in Twin Towns. Um, and this is an aside, but it was fascinating. As I was speaking, um, I could see past everyone through these massive windows. And, and then you could see up the river out to sea. And so I'm chatting, talking, and I look out to sea, and I see the largest whale I've ever seen. It was like a B-double size breach and come smashing down and inside I'm going but I didn't want to do that because everyone would lose concentration right so I just carried on doing what I was doing anyway um, the speaker just before me got up and he mentioned in his talk about gratitude he started talking about gratitude um, and he came from a um, he, an OT back and a physio background and he talks about OT, uh, um, gratitude and he said this he says researchers have found the most effective spiritual discipline that improves health across the entire broad spectrum of, the, of humanity is the discipline of gratitude. And then he went on to explain that if you just take just a few minutes a day to list three things, we did two, because we didn't want you guys to be talking forever, but there's three things that you're thankful for every day. That spiritual discipline, researchers have said, is more healthy for you than anything else you could do in such a short amount of time, right? And that got me thinking. It's like, if that's true, and as soon as somebody say researchers have said, you go, oh, well, that's definitely true, even if it's completely made up. Um, if that's true, what does it look like if a person were to completely live a life of gratitude? They were thankful all the time for everything. Just think about that for a couple of seconds. What would you expect that person to be like? And I want some feedback now. What, what would you expect that person to be like? What qualities would you expect them to have? What would you, how would you expect them to, to do life? What do you think? Joyful. Joyful? Great. Very positive. Very positive. Yep. Calm. Embracing. Yep. I've had a little bit longer to think about it than you guys, but I was thinking, if you were constantly grateful and thankful for everything you probably wouldn't have much jealousy because you'd be uh, you'd be like wow it's envy and jealousy and those those seven um deadly sins pride greed lust envy gluttony wrath and sloth uh, they'd be disempowered you wouldn't see much of them in a person's life who was completely grateful all the time they'd be able to relinquish hurt easily how hard is it to let go of hurt when you've been really hurt? But someone who was constantly gracious, grateful, I think, would, would find it quite easy to let go of hurt. I think they'd be content. They'd have a deep love and appreciation for people. Things that, that we all go, oh, wow, yeah, I would, I would love that to be me. And at times, if I'm honest, it perhaps isn't. You see, grat gratification wakes up or wakes us up to what God has given us. When we are grateful, when we have gratitude, we realise everything God has done for us and giving to us, and we become awake to God. And gratitude, actually, it extinguishes insecurity. So, you know, at times when you're thinking things, you're like, that's out of an insecure place. Gratitude actually extinguishes insecurity. It exhausts insecurity of its power. Because when we are grateful, we're automatically orientated to who God is and what God has done for us. And the giver of that, whom we're thankful for. So, if a person lived consistently, constantly, always in a state of gratitude, we would say 
they're like living out the image of God. They're living out the image that they were made in. They're being true to themselves. That's what God had in mind when he first created people. Gratitude restores us to the image of God. It heals us and brings us to something that God intended for us to be made in in this first place. And the epitome of that picture, the absolute um, framed up version of what that looks like has to be Jesus, right? It has to be Jesus. See, we see that in Jesus. He has these moments where he's grateful, but the rhythm and the style and the the way he lives his life, you can see he, he is just someone who is full of gratitude. He never wants, he always gives. He gives out of this well of things that he can offer to others. It ultimately defined his life. And Jesus knew more than any of us or any other person fully realised that everything was given by God. It wasn't actually his. He was there to steward it. So he, he had the, everything was given by God to be cherished and to be honoured and celebrated and enjoyed. And there's this moment in Jesus' life where he's teaching his disciples, and we sort of see this come to the, come to the surface. He's teaching his disciples, and um, there's, there's 72 of them. So they're gathered around, and he decides to send them out on a bit of a mission. He's like, okay, so this isn't one of those lessons where I just talk and you listen and nod your heads and say, yeah, go Jesus. This is where you get your hands dirty. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to send them out, give them a number of instructions, sends them out to the nearby towns that he's going to visit in the next couple of weeks. He says, be the forerunners for me. Go to these towns, do amazing things by the power of God and see what happens and then come back and fill us in. And so they go and you can read in Luke 10 what happens and how it all works out. So they go and they come back and we read this in verse 17 of Luke 10. The 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to your name. They experienced something truly incredible. They healed people. People that were lame and couldn't walk now can run around. People that were blind can now see. People that were sick and on the edge of death are now healed and whole. And they rush back to Jesus like they've just won the amazing race. They're ecstatic about their experience. And listen to what Jesus says. Very next verse, verse 18 of Luke 10. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Right? This is amazing. And then he says in verse 20, the next verse, he says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Well, it was a pretty good experience, right? That was amazing. Like, we'd love to be part of that. And she's like, no, 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 do not rejoice in this. Do not rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And we read that and we go, that is a little bit weird. Like, yeah, okay, yeah, the name's, the name's written in heaven, it's taken care of, but this is where the action is. This was amazing. And Jesus says, no, no, don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Don't rejoice in the power you have been given to do these things. Don't rejoice in the victory that God has had in people's lives. Don't rejoice in the healing that has happened. Be stoked that you've got a ticket to heaven. And if we read it like that, we completely rip ourselves off of what Jesus was getting at. A lot of people have. They've gone, oh, it's more important for me to be good with God than me to do anything missionally for other people. And they cite this to do it. But it's a complete misreading of what Jesus is talking about. So let me explain what he was getting at. The Bible is full of people, it's full of stories where they have a significant encounter with God, they go on a significant journey with God, 
and they are given a new identity that is expressed in a new name. Can you think of any biblical characters whose name has been changed from what it was to a new name because of God, that God changed their name? Who have you got? Abraham to Abraham? Israel, Jacob to Israel? Paul, Saul to Paul? He didn't get much of a change. It was one letter, but wow, that one letter made a big difference. Anyone else? Simon Peter? Anyone else? Oh, very good. Sarai to Sarah. Any others? Yeah, I ran it too. Okay. So God is in the business of giving new names to people which express a new identity that they found in God. So the name is given by God because they're now a new identity of what God is doing. So they're called to a new life with God. They become a new creation. They're given a new name and they live in a new identity. And that new identity is totally linked to trusting in God and walking by faith. That's how we get to see what our new identity is. So we, those of you who have said yes to Christ, who put your trust in Jesus, you get to see and experience and taste what that new identity looks like and feels like when you're on mission. Which may be like in your home with your neighbours, in your schools, in your um, uni, at your workplace, wherever you do. It doesn't matter where you're on mission. But that's when you go, oh, this is what God has saved me to. I'm meant to be trusting in who he is and walking in faith. That's how we could become familiar with this new identity that we've been given. Now, John who was one of the apostles, uh, one of the disciples, wrote um, a couple of books in the Bible, including that lovely book that we all like to just pretend isn't there. You know the one right at the end, the, the troublemaker? The one that we go, that doesn't make much sense at all. Revelation, right, so John wrote Revelation. And in Revelation, he gives us a clue to what Jesus is talking about in this verse. He actually offers us almost a commentary of what Jesus was talking about. He uses the same language and picks up on this. And so listen to this. This is Revelation 2.17. I'll I'll preach you, Charlie. Come on. All right. Revelation 2.17 says, Whoever has ears, let them hear. Jesus is about to say that. What the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who is victorious, I I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will also give that person a white stone, with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. So the context is that the culmination of time, the culmination of days when we're we're reunited with Christ in heaven in its fullness, we will discover our new name. We will see the name that's connected to our identity. It will be revealed to us, written on a white stone, and our name gets written down when we receive it from Christ, when we trust in him, when we become a Christian, we get a new name, we're a new new creation, we have a new identity that we're meant to live out of, and when it comes right to the end of time, we'll discover what that name actually is. So when Jesus says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He is talking about the new name we get written on a white stone. He's talking about rejoicing in the reward we have from God when we walk by faith and trust in God. He's giving thanks, not for everything that was the result of the disciples going out, but that they trusted enough to go out. Because when they trusted, they were active, they were waiting on God to make up the difference. And that's what he gives thanks about. Thank you, God, that this difference you've made in their lives. So rejoice, be thankful, give praise, be grateful, overflow with gratitude. 
that we are made into something brand new in Jesus. We've been given a new identity. Our insecurities have been swallowed up and they only ravish us when we revert back to our previous identity, right? But they're gone, they're meant to be disempowered and swallowed up. Peace and contentment are ours because of what Jesus did for us. That's what it means to have a new name. And you guys, the disciple says, you just tasted what living with your new name looks like. Rejoice not in the new name, but the giver of that new name. And that's exactly what Jesus is thankful for. The next verse, verse 21. In that same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and you have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, such was your gracious will. So in the same hour that this takes place, Jesus communes with the Holy Spirit. He gives thanks to God for the work that God is doing in these disciples. Jesus isn't thankful for what he's received or what the disciples did. He is thankful for what God is doing. He's thankful for what God has done. He's filled with this gratitude that God would use a ragtag bunch of misfits to do what the most wise and the most learned long to do but cannot. Jesus shows us that our insecurities are extinguished, not just when we're grateful, but when we're grateful to God, for God. And our temptation is just to be grateful. The speaker at that conference I was telling you about, his, his whole thing was just be grateful. It doesn't matter what you're grateful about. Just be grateful for that. That is enough. But that is what the self-help movement encourages. I was going to say like Oprah um, says on her shows, is she, does she still have a TV show? Is she alive still? I wouldn't have a clue. I was like, hmm, she might even be dead. Sorry, Oprah. Um, anyway, but the whole self-help movement is, is all about look into yourself. Look at what you have. Put your salvation and what will save you. Um, put the focus of that into yourself. We cannot save ourselves. It's, it's the biggest obstacle that, that people face. We can't actually save ourselves from the things we want to be saved from. And so, so saying just be grateful about everything that's about me, it actually emphasises the glory of what we have and who we are. Look at what I have. I'm so thankful for all this stuff. Look at who I am. I'm so thankful. For wow, I'm feeling really good about myself. God doesn't want us to feel really good about himself, right? God wants us to feel really good about God because God feels really good about us. And so when we mess up, it's okay because God still thinks really good about us and we still think good about God. When we mess up, if we're looking at ourselves, thinking really good about ourselves, we stop thinking real good about ourselves. So it's not enough to be just grateful for what we have. We need to start being grateful and focusing on what God is doing and what God has done. But what about when we start to look around at what God is doing? See, then we start to thank him for that. We, uh, at lunchtime today, Lyndall and I were sitting with the kids and I, um, Lyndall took Hamish to the toilet and so I explained to Zari what my sermon was about tonight. She was thrilled. She's like, this is the best conversation ever, Dad. Um, and I said, so what I want to know is what are you thankful to God for? And she's four and she says, I'm thankful that he loves me. I'm thankful that he cares about me. I'm thankful that he's kind. And I'm like, that's amazing. And then Lyndall came back in 
don't tell Lyndall I said this. Lyndall came back in. She sat down and then I repeated and I said to Lyndall, what have you got? Zara and I have been talking about it. What have you got? And Lyndall goes, oh, I'm thankful for my family. I said, oh, that's, that's something that's yours. So you could say, I'm thankful for God's provision. What else? She goes, I don't know. And then Zari goes, Mom, are you thankful that God loves you? Are you thankful that God's kind? It kind of schools her and I'm just like, oh, give her the microphone. So it sharpens our discernment when we start thinking through this, right? Not just about our stuff that we have, but what God is doing and who God's doing. I'm looking at it going, oh, what am I thankful for? I'm thankful that God's at work in the lives of the people that I meet through the schools. I'm really thankful for that. I have nothing to gain for that, but I get to see what God is doing. And when I start to look at what God is doing, I'm not focusing on me and my life. I'm starting to look at God's life and what God is doing and what God is at work at. See, our experience of gratitude is meant to be so deep that we lose ourselves in it as we find God. So deepen your gratitude. What is it that you're thankful to God for, that God has done, that it doesn't matter if you've benefited from it or not? See, if we want to embrace our new name that we've been given, if we want to live more by faith, if we want to step out in trust in God, we need to start looking at what God is doing in this world and thanking Him for it, getting on the same page and cheering God on. And He'll say, come join me. It'll stir in our spirits. We'll be moved toward Him. And our whole world orientation will shift. Everything will shift. Because our outlook will be about who God is and what God is doing, not about how well we're doing. So Mother Teresa tells the story of one day she was, in the, um, she was out in the streets of Calcutta and she came across this six-year-old boy who was really sick and really ill and, um, and was near death. And they took him into the, um, the, their um, hospital and where they look after him. They nursed this boy back to health. And then they had another home that they were going to send him to. So they're about to send the boy to the home. But what they would do as a, a real um, just blessing for the children is they would give them a packet of sugar. And in the streets of Calcutta, a, a quarter of a packet of sugar was a day's wage. And so, so they give the, the sisters give this packet of sugar to the boy and he's beaming. He's so thankful. He's never seen so much amazing uh, like sugar in his entire life. He's just overcome with joy and he's so thankful. He's so grateful. And as he's walking out of the, uh, across the courtyard... He walks past um, a little boy being brought in on a stretcher. And the little boy was in a similar situation that uh, he was previously. The little boy was, looked like he was um, dying. He was really um, uh, like lacking life. And, and the boy immediately, the healthy boy, looked over and saw the boy and immediately rushed to the sisters and gave his sugar and said, that's for him, and walked out. And as he was walking out, Mother Teresa caught him and said, what did you what did you?" Just do, why did you do that? And the little boy responded, I think if Jesus were here, he would do that. This is a little boy that didn't know anything of Jesus previously when he was on the street. I think Jesus would do that. Gratitude reveals Jesus to us, just as Jesus leads us to gratitude. And the cross is the ultimate expression of the gratitude we have toward God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Something so powerful occurred on the cross that everything changed as a result. Everything. All of creation could once again breathe in the Spirit of God and commence its journey to full restoration because of the cross and what Jesus did. The cross's power exhausted everything that we like to feed on. 
our pride, our insecurity, our comfort, our sin, all of that. The cross exhausted it all of its power. And our gratitude for what Jesus did on the cross awakens again in us the cross's power. It happened as this public spectacle. It stands in the center of history, reveals the power of Jesus and the love of God. And the cross stands as the center of history as a declaration of God's action for us. God is for us. He loves us. He's moving towards us. He gives us something that we couldn't possibly ever attain without God. The cross shows us that what really is of value to us is nothing that we have Everything that we have in comparison to the richness and the glory of what Jesus did on the cross pales insignificant. If we have Jesus, we have everything. And gratitude, as Jesus demonstrates, it draws us away from ourselves and every other competing idol. And it sets our sights firmly and fully on what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And so we're going to play a song now. And as we do that, I want to invite you to come forward and grab a white stone. Because it's such a vivid reminder that our identity is in Christ. And one day we will see the fullness of this. But until now, this is, I have a new identity. I'm a new creation. I'm called to live differently because of what Jesus does for me. And how do I live differently? I start with gratitude to who God is and the actions God is taking. So what we'd love you to do is come forward, grab a stone, return to your chair and spend some time in prayer and thank God for three things that God is doing or has done or um, is active in and around your life or the life of someone else.